So it is February, and for the second month in a row, I am recording this and saying I'm sat here looking at snow outside. <laughs> I know, it's quite bizarre, isn't it? Because we don't generally get that much snow here, um, but the rooftops are white, the trees are beautifully decorated, everything's sparkling, and I'm thinking, mm, I wonder how long it's going to last because <laughs> I've got to go out tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, you don't want to be you don't want to be stuck indoors no absolutely well you know i mean slipping and sliding is not my sort of favorite <laughs> activity so i'm hopeful that it might actually look beautiful today and sparkle and gleam and then disappear overnight that would be the, the, the perfect world that we want to live in when it comes to snow but you know slipping and sliding christine that could be your little audition moment to get yourself prepped up and ready for strictly you reckon would you do it? Would you do Strictly? I couldn't do Strictly because I've got oh. um, feet problems, actually. Um, oh. I think the opportunity to be taught how to dance properly by a pro would be yeah. sensational. Um, it's not something that would be at the top of my list, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that opportunity, because it is a social skill that comes into many aspects of life. And as you probably know, I do um, tour leading and garden leading and cruises. And often you're expected to dance. And I've had some pretty embarrassing moments <laughs> doing dancing. <laughs> My forte on one occasion was on a cruise when the captain came over and asked me to dance. And I said, I know it's not polite to actually refuse, but you'd be very wise <laughs> not to offer. And he said, well, I'm a very, very experienced dancer and I'm sure we'll be able to do it fine. Anyway, so I said, well, be it on your head. And I leapt up and we danced. And when he came back, he brought me back to my chair and he said, that was yeah. quite interesting. <laughs> and didn't, didn't say anything else. It was a lady opposite, an older lady opposite. <laughs> So they gestured me over and she was smiling as everybody else was laughing and right. said, said to me, you know, the captain is in charge of the ship. And I said, yes, of course. And he said, he is on the dance floor as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have not danced much since then. Well, um, I think you've painted a fairly good picture, Christine, of what that would look like. <laughs> Well, it wasn't good, um, but I'd had warned it. Now, you can't say I haven't tried to steer him in the right direction. He no. wouldn't actually, you know, take the course. So his <laughs> fault. It's his fault. Well, look, I realise we've started getting chatting already. And yet again, I've not even introduced my special guest co-host. Now, um, uh, normally at this stage, I would just warn you that as special guest co-host, that means you have equal responsibility for the success of this month's podcast. That's part of the thing about being in the driving seat. Obviously, I don't tell you that before I get here. I wait till we're recording and you're all trapped. But. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so this is the wonderful, and you might recognise that voice, the wonderful Christine Walkham. Lovely to see you and hear you. Thanks for nice. joining me. Pleasure. Um, so people will probably know you best from uh, probably the telly box and also their radio, right? Because you are a, a regular on Gardener's Question Time. Mm, yes, That's which I thoroughly enjoy. A stalwart of the BBC radio programming. It's like one of the longest radio shows ever, isn't it? It's the, the second longest running, yes. And wow. as, as such, I think it's a great privilege and honour to be part of that. And I always visualise when I'm sat there, the Bill Sauerbrooks and all of that gang 
a Fred Lords that I used to listen to in my bedroom as a kid. And I used to write down furiously all the information that they were saying and then try to remember the question. And I never in a million, million years thought that one day I would be that. Um, and I still, I mean, I think all of us that have been doing this a long time, we pinch ourselves because it doesn't in many ways feel right or true sure. that we are it. How did it come about? Did you Were you just sort of sat at home one day and somebody said, look, do you fancy giving this a bash? Or was there a bit more complicated? Or It wasn't that complicated, no. A, um, I think somebody had heard me talking about my gardening books, of which I've got a vast collection. And the producer then phoned me and said, would I be prepared to talk about my books on Gardener's Question Time? Sure. So he and Matthew Wilson came out and we sat in my garden a million miles away from my books and we chatted books and we chatted gardening and the rest of it. And as the producer was leaving, he said to me, that was quite nice, actually. Would you fancy having a bash on Gardener's Question Time? And I said, oh, yes, that's something I would really love to do. That's one of my dreams that was it the rest of the <laughs> <history>. <laughs> lovely and i can imagine that you pinch yourself because if you listen to it all that time and it's such a formative show as well right i mean it's a i mean everybody knows it's like a household name gardener's question time isn't it it is an household name and i think it's much more and what i like about it particularly is it, it is much more than just gardening it's sure. the banter it's the jokes it's the report the chemistry between us all the fun, the contradictions. It's a whole package. And quite a lot of our audience are non-gardeners and they just like it because of that silly banter and the nonsense yeah. that you know sometimes ensues. And that's great. I, I think for a programme such as gardening to have that sort of a following yeah. is tremendous. And it, yeah. it says a lot about the team, the panellists, but it also says a lot about the production company that allows that to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Give you that freedom a little bit as mm, well. Mm. So, so talking of the banter, this is one of the questions I thought would be really interesting to ask today because I don't listen to it regularly, so it's not like I can remember certain yeah. series ago. But there must be funny or odd questions that you've been asked, or that people on the panel have been asked. Is there anything that's kind of like the most memorable question that either like knocked you sideways or that you ended up laughing about or something? The questions that are always entertaining um, to the panellists are those where you ask the questioner a question and they deny it. For example, <laughs> on one occasion, I think it was at Blackpool in the Winter Gardens, somebody was talking about a pear tree and I said, well, it must have gone red. And she said, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, mm. anyway, we pursued this course and we asked various, and she totally contradicted everything I said. Um, and I'm thinking, well, she's no idea what she's talking about. So I just, <laughs> so I just wrote on a bit of paper, rubbish, and passed it along the panel who started laughing. And it was very, very evident that <laughs> she she just wanted to be on Gardner's Question Time. She yeah. hadn't got a question. She was making it up. Um <laughs> And it was rubbish. Uh, you know, so occasionally we get that sort of person. We have the other person when we're in the hall that looks at you and you can tell from their body language and from their faces that they absolutely don't believe you for two seconds. And sometimes I will say that. Um, it's always stunned silence. And I yeah. say, don't believe me, do you? <laughs> so, and gardening's like that. I mean... 
I am only expressing an opinion. So if they wish to totally ignore it, um, so be it. Yeah. So often in gardening, there isn't a right or a wrong. There's a million and one ways to do it. And if it works for you, great. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think that's the, the joy of, of gardening, though. You've, I still think there's such a huge amount of people that almost seem a bit scared to go like that like you know it's like this podcast has a ton of people that listen to it that don't necessarily garden they wouldn't they wouldn't call themselves a gardener but no. they're interested in that there's a lure there's a there's something about being outside or you know in the fresh air or with a you know pottering about with some pots or plants that they like yeah. but it's almost like they're a bit scared to do anything in case they kill it or in case because they don't know what they're doing or because there's you know so many books on the subject and I it's, always say to people, just do what you want. It doesn't matter. It's your garden, isn't it? Absolutely. It is their garden. And I think one of the biggest bogeys is that, you know, does it matter if you kill it? And to a large extent, no, it doesn't, because that's how you often learn. One of the things that saddens me so much is people won't give it a try. Yeah. And the other thing that saddens me is people instantly expect results. How yes. many times did it take you to pass your driving test? How many times did it take you to learn something? How many times did it, you know, you have to go through something before you perfected it? Yet yeah. with gardening, it's almost a case of bung it in and they expect blooms. Yeah. It doesn't happen like that. It's a journey <laughs> like any other journey. And that saying, you know, so, so again, is so true. And I don't know whether it's just prejudice. I don't know whether it's just sort of history or pass-me-downs or what. But, you know, if it doesn't work the first time, give it another go and yeah. keep trying. The fact that there's over three million of us gardening in this country suggests to me that some of us are doing it all right. Yeah. It also <laughs> suggests to me that, you know, you don't have to be Einstein to do it either. Yeah. Um, because, you know, most of us... You know, and it's at what level? I get as enthusiastic about a person that's passionate about a dandelion as I am about somebody that's passionate about acres. It doesn't flipping matter. What yeah. matters is you've connected with that thing that you're admiring, that beauty, the optimism that it brings, Ooh. the thrill that it brings when you see it first moving. I had a friend that was passionate about a dandelion. He was not a gardener. In fact, he was a junkie and he had substantial problems in his life. And the one thing he used to phone me up in the spring was my dandelions moving. <laughs> and it would be almost a sort of weekly ritual that he would tell me how many more leaves it had. And when it came up to flower, it was almost poetic. Wow. It was a very, very emotional journey with that lad because he wasn't good at communicating he didn't relate to much at all but he was passionate about that dandelion and he only wanted a dandelion he didn't want a garden he didn't want a window box he just wanted this one thing that he was responsible for and he had it in a pot he'd had something in the pot before he's no idea what that was wow. but this dandelion came up and that to me was a great lesson because it's not about the acres, it's about that connection. Do sure. you really connect with that one thing that you're looking at at that moment in time? Crikey. That, it's got deep quick, Christine. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Normally we build up to that. <laughs> oh, well, I've looked, mate. <laughs> but, but that is joyful. What an amazing... I love when other people... 
because we get carried away with our life right everybody does that you know you, you go on a little course and you don't really necessarily plan the course that you're going on or the journey or the path or whatever and you find yourself there and I love it when something happens like that somebody punctuates your life a little bit with mm. something that has the most beautiful simplicity around it that makes you just sort of stop a second and, and alter your balance in life and think oh hang on a minute let me just reassess where I am right now because that is you know, I've forged ahead and I've found myself, you know, going along this path or whatever you're doing. And then if somebody you, comes along with something like that. It's lovely, isn't it? If you look at life, it's those tiny, tiny things that aren't written down, aren't spoken about, but are experienced. Yeah. And they're the things that just happen in a flash and sometimes they become quite monumental in your life. Other times they just sit there for that moment when you think, Oh, yes. Yeah, Yet yeah. For many of us, we do storm through life and, and don't analyse or think about our experiences. And I think that's what gardening allows you. You're there, you know, you're connecting to the soil, you're connecting to the earth, the, the environment. It gives you thinking space sure. and you can relate to those things that have happened in your life and yeah. those things that have touched you. I think that brings us perfectly onto something I wanted to talk to you about. I want to talk about... <clears throat> no nonsense and your approach to gardening because we've sort of touched on this and because you you've sort of coined this I don't know whether you did or whether somebody gave it to you but you've you're sort of associated with this no nonsense gardening approach right this sort of very matter of a fact and I think we're sort of hearing that now with you chatting which I love I love that sort of just you know strip away all the fluff and let's just not all the pretense and all the you know pretentiousness um so so where did that come from what is your where did this no nonsense thing sort of start it's Christine Walton. <laughs> we should get T-shirts with that on. That's all it is. It never started. It is what it is. Um, I have. I don't believe I've changed over the years. Um, I think I was probably like I am now when I was ten or even five. Um, it is that's all I can I didn't coin that it's been coined for me it was a publisher that coined that um I believe in simplicity I am not the brightest um star in the sky and I believe that teaching taught me an awful lot and that was to be able to teach well or lecture well you need to understand your subject and I've spent an awful lot of time, an awful lot of my life, converting quite complex phenomena, processes, um, instructions into plain, simple English that people can understand. Sure. And I think the gift of a great communicator is that you can take complex things and you can make the person that didn't want to understand, understand. If you can turn a key in a person's mind, if you can turn that door and open it for somebody, you've done a fantastic job. And I oh. sometimes believe that making things too complicated is a shame because yeah. it puts people off. And it's basically me. I talk from my heart. I talk from my experience. I talk from me. And if that's no nonsense and if that's straightforward, well, so be it. But it's me. <laughs> I love that. Well, that if more people were, I've been working a lot over the last sort of eight or nine months on <clears throat> writing a new book and the book, and there's a lot in the book about authenticity and vulnerability as, mm. as humans and what nature's taught me about both actually. 
Mm. Um, and the more I reflect on it, the more I talk to other people about it. Um, the interesting thing is, I think over the last however many years um, with social media, we've been driven to this kind of fake world of everything needing to look perfect or, or people kind of, you know, pur purporting to be something that perhaps they're probably not. Um, mm. uh, and that actually there's a hunger for authenticity and vulnerability and honesty and, and truth. I um, think the person that has to hide behind something is a very shallow person. If you can't be yourself, um, and, you know, it's all about conforming, isn't it, and ticking boxes and all the rest of it. And to be perfectly frank, if you don't like me, turn me off. Yeah. You, you've got a choice. You know, yeah. I, I haven't got a gun to your head. And the world is not going to always like Christine Walton as anybody else for that matter. Sure. And I am what I am. Um, you either like me or you don't. I try not to offend as much as possible. That's not my style. I know my bluntness sometimes can cause offence, um, but that's being a typical northerner. You say it as it is. Um, <laughs> and um, behind that, I very often think, well, if you've taken offence of that, it's misinterpretation. And for northerners, a comment and a criticism is often considered the same thing. And yeah. it's not. Um, believe you me, when a northerner criticises something, you know about it in time. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> certainly it's not a comment uh, yes for a lot of people they don't understand the nuances but you know such is life there's the north south and east and west divide and people absolutely and, and it brings color to us all and my color is often my bluntness whereabouts up north are you from christine from a little village called rishton which is near blackburn oh lovely okay so i don't know rishton but i know the area relatively well that's that's nice and yeah, I also but, see that you've got a dog picture behind you. There is yes. a photograph of a dog. I'm very pleased to see that you're a doggy person. Oh, I'm a doggy person. I've had a doggy since I was little. Oh. I've always had a dog. I had the family dog when I was young on the allotment. And I had a puppy at college with me. My <laughs> first puppy I took to college. And it lived in the... <laughs> in my room in the bottom drawer and I bribed the cleaner not to tell anybody I, I got her towards the end of doing my OND at Mosco and um I was I was there but I've got this dog so the dog and I used to climb out of the window of the kitchen to take my dog for a piddle uh, but she was there for about nine weeks so wow my, my dog was educated as well and she was called Lassie and then I got another one called Tara um, and this is my third dog. She's a chocolate Labrador. She's now 13 and a half. And oh, she's my dream. How lovely. I have a Labrador, a black Labrador. He is uh, 11 and a half. <coughs> All right. Um, so I, I'm very pleased. Well, I, like, I mean, I've really liked you before. That's why I invited you here. But now I really, <laughs> really like you. <laughs> Just because I like dogs. <laughs> yeah, well, like doggy people, I've been quite vocal on this podcast in the past. Uh, doggy people immediately, I sort of trust a bit more. Okay, okay. Um, I like doggy people. There is a balance. Some people, there is a kind of a doggy group. That I'm not mm. so interested in, you know, the opinionated kind of, you know, you must do it this way kind of doggy people. There are some odd doggy people. Yes. Uh, uh, but it's the cat people I'm just a little more socially worried about. Like one or two cats is broadly normal, but you okay. tend to find that anybody with three or more 
is a little socially clunky and you can normally smell they've got cats, if okay. you know what I mean. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they say there's dog people and there's cat people. Yeah, yeah. How do you get on with those that have both? Oh, look, I mean, we're yeah, in a come world... On, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a world now where you can identify as anything you want right so you know i i'm conflicted all right as it's, it's a sort of it's the i don't i don't know what would you call that i'm bi pet i don't know i don't, I don't know what but you see that that criteria doesn't stand scrutiny does it when you throw in both of them no it doesn't i guess it's a bit like being a serial killer but being quite friendly because i've interviewed really? two serial killers professionally Okay. And one of them was really lovely. I, I didn't actually know they'd committed such heinous offences until a bit afterwards. So, well, what you, know. you have to remember is that that person was somebody's husband, brother, yeah. sister, wife, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just people and they get a title for doing something that's very, very wrong. Yeah, but yeah. Fundamentally, it's a person. Yeah. I've always said that we shouldn't judge people by the path they took to be on the journey to get to the place that they are right now and that you should you know because we all choose different paths and sometimes you don't get a choice actually of the path that you end up or if you choose the path you don't necessarily end up being able to choose the journey that it takes you on um, but you should sort of you know judge people by where they are right now and who they are right now rather than who they've been I think it's very difficult because, you know, life's complexities, life's experiences um, can be joyous or they can be very difficult to handle. Sure. I think fundamentally people aren't um, generally destructive. And yeah. I, I believe that, you know, if something happens to a person and they decide to go down what many of us would consider a wrong path, um, is sad, but who are we to judge? And we don't know what's going on in that person's mind. We don't know no. what's going on in that person's life. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's right, but we are very quick to be judgmental. And sure. so often we have no idea what's no. going on. Um, no. Often, you know, the media portrays a certain picture and it's only when you talk to that person that you find that it's not that at all. It was manipulated. It was yep. changed. Yeah. Um, I, I think those judgment calls are very difficult. Um, and I think it's sad sometimes that we do get into that situation where, you know, we, we often make a comment and we don't know what's gone on or why it's gone on. Yeah, um, sure. You know, I don't know, it's the same with gardening, I suppose, isn't it, Christine? Because you know, sometimes I often hear to people hear people who say, you know, I've got this wild patch in my garden, or uh, I, I really want to let you know my garden go wild. And when they look out of their, you know, they might be in like a semi-detached or on, a, on an estate or something, and they look out of their window onto their wild patch, and and they see this exciting habitat for hedgehogs and butterflies and insects and all mm. of the sort of natural wildflowers coming out, and then they look you know, to their right and to their left at their neighbours. And they've got, you know, beautifully manicured lawns and very specific tidy beds and borders. Mm. And the neighbours, you know, they say to me, or well, the neighbours make comments about our garden, you know, because it looks scruffy or whatever. And it's, it, it's, it's that exact same thing, isn't it? That they're passing judgment, but they don't understand the, the person's situation. It's all in the eye of the beholder. What is right or wrong? I mean, you can spend all your life questioning that. Yeah. It's only an opinion, isn't it, at the end of the day? 
um, and how we live our life and conduct our life and certainly how we garden, sure. I think is your own prerogative. And yeah. I don't think people should put a label on it. As You know, it, it goes back to the dandelion syndrome. He was passionate about a dandelion. And that's all that really matters. Yeah, I love that. I think we should do something with dandelions. This episode is going to be the dandelion special, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm always really interested in hearing how people got hooked with gardening. And you've got a story similar to mine because you describe yourself as, or it has been described, that you are a horticulturalist from the age of 10. And I love that. I love the idea of a 10-year-old being able to be not necessarily consciously identify as a horticulturalist because you wouldn't necessarily know what one was necessarily. Um, but I love the idea that from such a young age, there's that intimate connection. You think, yeah, that is my identity. I can stand in a garden around plants and I, I have completed my identity. So what, what is the, how did you get hooked into it? What's your story? The very first memory I have of any connection of plants is at junior school. And we used to be given a crocus. I was told bulb by the teacher. Right. And I told her it was a comb. <laughs> and I don't know how this little precocious brat, probably about eight at that stage, knew it was a comb. But I could actually tell her why it was a comb as well. Because when she asked me what the difference was, I told her. Anyway, this precocious <laughs> little brat um, was given a crocus home and we used to take a yogurt pot in and we used to scrape up dirt from the playing field and we used to pot it up and we used to stick it under the stairs at school and then I was never asked to look after them never and that oh. used to annoy me why I mean, not really I don't know we, there was this posh kid from the better end of Rishton that you right. had to look after it it was never <laughs> us lot us don't, don't give it to the gobby one that, that no, told me it wasn't a bulb absolutely <laughs> she'll grow it and she'll flower it for heaven's sake anyway that's my first memory and then the second memory was Blackburn Wakes week we was going obviously the school was going on holiday and the headmistress came in and asked if some of the kids would take some plants home so I stuck my hand up grabbed three ran home and knocked on the door. My dad came and he said, what the hell are them? And I said, the plants. He said, I know that, but what are you doing with them? And I said, I'm looking after them during the holiday. And he went, oh, no, you're not. No, you're not. And I said, I am, Dad. I am. I'm looking after them. He goes, no, you're not. No, you're not. And I am. I am. I am. I am. He said, we're going away ourselves. And I went, oh. And he said, so you best find something to do with them. So, and I've no idea where I saw this or read it or um, I assume, I, I, I don't know, because we didn't have a telly at that stage and I didn't listen to the radio. We didn't read much actually either as, as, as young kids, but I put got went into our shed, typical um, northern shed, uh, no light, no windows, and I got the tin bath down that we used to bath in as kids by the fire and yeah. I filled it with water and I plunged these three plants completely underwater in that bath and shut the door. I went away for a fortnight. All during the holiday, I kept thinking, I'm not sure I should have done that. Yeah. <laughs> that that was the right thing to do. Anyway, when we got home, I ran to the shed, opened the door, and there were three spectacular Campanula isophila white wow. looking at i mean the bathtub was just a foam of white it wasn't bubble bath it was flowers yeah and it was magnificent now don't try it because i've tried to do that several times since 
and it kills them. <laughs> why? Why it didn't on this? I have. I. I mean, to this day, I have no idea what went there. No idea at all. But it was spectacular. And from there, it was why, when, what. And I started growing on the back wall that separated our house from next door. I then started taking up the paving flags in the yard. And then one day I was walking down the back of our house and I came across something that I didn't know about. And it was called an allotment site. And <laughs> I had no idea that was down there. And I was walking around and I had a nosey. And by this time I was already gardening down our street Alwood Road in Mission's a long road and it's got typical little northern terrace houses about six foot by about you know two foot wide yeah and I'd done mine and I'd done next door and by the time I was 11 I'd got about 100 of these up and down Alwood Road and on wow. one of these and I got paid because Mr Mellon said I should charge so I did <laughs> so I was making money and one day I was in one of these gardens and the garage door was open, but it was an unusual garage because it had a door back and front. And I could see through this garage onto what looked to me just magical. I could see these yellow blobby things waggling around in the wind. And then I could see some plants and things and these pens and things. And and I went through and Mrs Hargreaves came out and I said to her, what's this then? And she said, it's an allotment site. And I said, well, what's one of them? And she explained. And by the left-hand side of her was a very neglected plot, full of thistles and brambles and things bigger than I was. Yeah. And I said, well, what's this then? And she said, well, it was my late husband. And I asked her what late was. Because as a kid, you don't understand that term, sure. late. Uh, and she said, and I was really embarrassed. And then I said to her, well, can I have it? And she said, what do you mean? I said, can I have it? And she said, well... What, I said, can I have it? And she said, well, you'd, you'd have to go down the council and, and sort it out and, you know, go down and sort it out. But anyway, off I went and that's how I got my first allotment. And oh. the weeds were bigger than mine. And it was on that allotment. I can remember the day. It was a beautiful sunny day. I'd just dug up some potatoes and I thought to myself, I could do this as a living. Yeah. I could earn money because I already knew I could earn money from it because I was earning quite a lot of money from it. Um, and I thought, I've got to go to college. But I'd already, and I said one of the statements that my mum and dad used to comment on, and this was quite profound, and goodness knows where it came from. I said at 13 that I'd married into horticulture. How lovely. Now, I've no idea why I said that. And it's only looking back that I realised just how profound that was yes yeah and i've never wanted to do anything else ever i mean that's where i was at total peace i knew i could do it i knew i had to train if i wanted to get on because as a girl at that stage it was quite difficult but there was something that touched me there was something very very right about being on that plot gardening putting things in um you know growing stuff selling it um there was just something very very special um and i felt it was right and the path i took thereafter i have never deviated that's all i've ever wanted to do and i get a lot of inner peace i get a lot of serenity i get a lot of enjoyment um 
I'm not sure that my life could have been richer if I'd taken a different path. Uh, I've done an awful lot of things. I've achieved an awful lot of things. I've had a lot of failure. I've had a lot of um, problems in my life. But there is something about being in a garden, in a bit of space, the light, the smells, that smell of, and it's beginning now. If you go outside, yes, yes. that smell is changing. Now, you can't define that smell. <clears throat> Almost impossible to define but you know, and its growth is starting. Those yeah. buds are splitting. The sap is rising. Things are happening. Uh, it's only slow. It's only minute. But on a day-to-day -day basis, there's something happening. And I just love that journey where you see life starts and then all those cells doing things. And sure. it produces, I mean, Mother Nature as a sculptress is just magnificent. She has the same basic ingredient, but she creates this magical array of colour and form and texture and sure. intricacy and the beauty within the leaves, the beauty within the flowers. And as a gardener, you've just got to watch it, just stand yeah. there and watch it unfold. And then magically, at the back end, it dies and it recedes back into the ground to feed next year's plants. And I just find that journey, that cycle of growth, rebirth, death, nutrition, rebirth, growth. I just find that so, so fascinating and beautiful that I, I just think it's one of those precious gifts to be able to observe sure. that because so many people somehow don't see it, don't feel it, don't understand yeah. it. Um, I mean, I've always questioned why kids don't fascinate me as much because we're basically talking there about life and growth and, and nurturing and the rest of it. And children have never appealed to me, but plants have. Plants are great. I don't want that screamy little brat going, and, and, and producing excreta at the other end. I want a nice little clean plant that flowers. Well, I think it's the simplicity, though, isn't it? Like, like humanity is so incredibly complicated and and that circadian rhythm is something that as you quite rightly say that all life goes through <clears throat> and that humans go through and, and it's interesting to talk about kids because of course that critical developmental stage is probably you know from sort of baby through toddler into teens is that over a longer period of time is what we see outside mm. but the the simplicity is almost hypnotic about nature and because it's so uncomplicated it is just that process of growth and dying back and mm. like spring and autumn are the two most magical times of the year for that you know because you've had Absolutely. that period of barrenness during the winter haven't you and then all mm. of a sudden you've got this like you say like now and it's just teasing in February yep. it's just you know it's gonna happen very soon and then you'll do that thing where you'll I don't know, you'll not be out for five days or something. And then there's that moment where you look away and you look back and you go, oh, crikey, we're here. Where did that come from? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's that excitement. And, and I think that's what it is for gardening for me, that what fascinates me is, though I've seen it you know, a lot of times now, I still get that thrill. I mean, yeah. every time I open a packet of seed, I cannot believe that you can take a speck of dust and you can produce <laughs> a beautiful plant and you can produce a speck of dust again. I, yeah. I, I find that incredible. And I find 
it's incredible because I can do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I, I love about parsnips. Personally, can do that. Uh, yeah, and 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 that's that's phenomenal. And think about like poppy seeds as well. I mean, they're tiny. They are like little grains of sand, aren't they? It's just Absolutely, amazing. just dust. Yeah, yeah, within that little package is everything there to produce that fantastic plant. The leaves, the flowers, the seed. I mean, it is a magical, magical speck of dust. Hey, talking of seeds, Christine, this is a bit cheeky of me for some unremunerated gardening advice. <laughs> but, yes. but where do you keep your seeds? Because this seems to split and divide gardeners. Oh, split and divide. See what I did there? Um, it seems to, seems to divide gardeners as to what the best conditions are to keep seeds and where you should keep them. Well, I keep mine in the salad tray in the bottom of the fridge uh, with a bit of silica gel. And that came about because my... Part what, of my all period, year round? All year round. Um, I do that because one of my very first jobs from college was at the Millennium... Well, what became the Millennium Seed Bank. Yeah. It wasn't the Millennium Seed Bank in my day. It was the QC Bank. And it was a brick building at Wakehurst Place with a load of fridges. And I was in it at the very beginning, starting off that journey, what is now the world-famous Millennium Seed Bank. And there I learned about germination and seed storage and what you could do with seeds. You could set them on fire and you can whap them in various chemicals and you can do all <laughs> sorts of things to them to make them grow. Um, and there we kept them dark, dry and cold. Um, and I suppose it was that um, knowledge, that almost um, discipline that was yes. instilled at that age. Uh, and that's why I keep my seeds. So so all of my... So I'm just about to buy some lettuce seeds yeah. and some yeah. other veg and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'll probably have a look, see what there is, as you normally do, pouring through the catalogues right? yeah. <laughs> this year. So when they come in the post, I'm just going to... Pop them in the fridge mm. with some silica gel, like in a Tupperware or something, or just yeah, literally in, a, in that. No, in, I, I have a Tupperware box. Yeah. And, they go and then just there. leave them in there. And that's where they get stored forever yeah. until you need them. And then you put them back. And yeah, amazing. I love that. I've tried the greenhouse. That was monumentally bad. Like the worst idea now ever. Then, now then, <laughs> why would it be monumentally bad? Well, it was very hot and yeah. very, very bright. Right, and, and so they stopped doing anything. I may as well have just planted bits of cardboard. You might as well have cooked them. Yes, exactly you, that. Yeah. Now, remember <laughs> that a seed is a life. Yes. And what you're trying to do is to put that life into suspended animation. Yes. So if you reduce the rate of respiration, yep. you reduce the moisture content, yes. and you remove the light, yes. that, that seed, that speck of dust is going to sit there quite happily for a long time. Increase like the Disney. temperature. Yeah, yeah, just like Walt Disney. Increase <laughs> the temperature, the rate yeah. of respiration increases. It yes. uses up its energy source. <clears throat> it pops its clogs. Yeah, and well, I wish I'd have had that insight a year ago before I... I in fact, I recorded it. I did a video <laughs> with a friend of mine that came up. To, I did a tour of my veg patch, which was basically a weed garden and a, and a flower garden because it was very little. <laughs> and, and then I thought, well, I'll put them in the wood store, but that's quite exposed and outside. So high moisture yeah. and varying temperatures. So I guess that, that knocked them off as well. 
Yeah, I mean, if you apply the science, and I think one of the magical things about gardening is you can look at the science and you can look at the theories of things and you can re relate it back practically. And yeah. I constantly get fascinated by the comparisons we can make. You know, it's a bit like, you know, it, it's not rocket science, but there's a lot of rocket science behind it. Yeah. How do you feed a plant? You feed a plant like a kid. Right, you get this thing produced, and we are very, very careful to make sure we give it milk at the right temperature, at the right quantity, and we do that until it's, I don't know, a few weeks old, months old, and then it yeah. goes on to sloppy stuff, yeah. and then it goes on to harder stuff, and then we go on to roast beef and Yorkshire puddings, and we're really bulking on the muscle and the skeleton, and when we get old, we reduce the feed. Now then. Why are you giving a tiny little seedling a gallon of fertilizer? Yeah, it can't cope with it. Yeah, you burn off its roots. Why aren't you feeding it when it's growing and it's producing its trunk and its leaves? True. And why don't you just maintain it when it's got its trunk and its leaves? Yeah. It ain't rocket science. Yeah, yeah, look at life. Why are you sticking a plant out on the freezing cold day? You wouldn't stand out naked on a freezing cold day. Now, would you? No, you wouldn't. Why are you putting a plant out on a burning hot day in summer? Come on. You've got your sunscreen on, your hat, your shirt. Yeah. You're putting this tiny little plant out to shrivel up and burn. You <laughs> couldn't care a monkeys about it because you you're like the midwife of the gardening world, Christine. I'm loving this. Well, it Is may it... well be, but it's all about <laughs> observation and treating. Yeah. You know, you know how to love a person, a thing. Do it to your plants. Just take that basic philosophy of care and do it to your plant. It needs a drink. How many cups of tea are you going to have today? How much food are you going to have today? But you yeah. stick your little perishing plant out in a plant pot where it can't get anything out and you don't water it and you don't feed it. And when it drops dead, it's the plant's fault. <laughs> it's not the crappy gardener's fault. It's not the person that's done it. No. It's the flipping plant. You know, all those seeds didn't germinate. Rubbish seeds, the fact yeah. you put them in too deep or too early or you didn't sure. wash them. We are very, very naughty at not looking at who has caused this issue. I'm going to get my mum to listen to this because she's the first to blame the seed people every time. And I always think, well, it can't be all the seed people, can it? Like This is the no, fourth it... seed people you've tried. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and that their larger story, doesn't it? You know, we're yeah. producing billions and billions of packets to seed. And if you're not having success reliably, yeah. there's something likely to be that you're doing. And, yeah. you know, you need to think about it. And, you know, I mean, they do need water. It's a that little tiny speck of dust is a life, yeah. and it's just like that. You know, we all, as human beings, intrinsically have an understanding of how to treat a baby. Sure. Why don't we just transfer that to the baby plants? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As that child is growing, we know it needs more space. We sure. need know that we know it needs different food. We know it needs different quantities. Why don't you translate it to the plant? Sure. As it gets old, you're not supposed to eat as much. Not that I've noticed, but you're not <laughs> supposed to. 
you know, eat as much, and then you reduce it. You're just maintaining the levels. It seriously is not rocket science. If you know how to produce a child and grow a child, you can grow a plant. I've often said that often, I don't know what happened there. That went a bit posh, didn't it? Often. I've often said, Christine, because <laughs> I'm talking to the Queen of Gardening. I've often said. Ew, do I speak like that? Ew, I'm so, so sorry. Oh my God. Oh, heaven's sake. When it's because it's snowing, I was looking outside and thinking, oh, I must get my hit. I must, I must make sure I've got my hit when I go outside. I've often said I've often said I can't not say it now I've often said I think before you um before anybody has children there's two things they should do firstly they should learn how to keep a plant alive and secondly yes. they should learn how to train a chicken because chickens Absolutely. are very unforgiving and uh, you have to be very quick with chickens so you, like punishment and reinforcement and positive reinforcement because they're they're so distracted and you have to be really really good at punishing effectively and quickly and reinforcing effectively and quickly and if you can train a chicken and keep a plant then i think that should be the qualifier for you be a, now you can have kids but if you can't do those two things we should set up a little movement christine maybe like a i don't know like a, well, you can be the kid movement yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe let's not call it that but <laughs> no, <laughs> the chicken I, plant I think... philosophy yeah, I, I think it should be the, 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 the answer to all your questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, look, lots of us have seen you on telly. And because um, you've you've done some good stuff, actually. You've done oh, probably, you. well, you've probably done most, the most broadest. So what tends to happen is that gardeners appear on telly and then they do a series and they get known for that series. And then that's sort of it. But. You've sort of done the rounds a bit, haven't you? You've been about. Because <laughs> you did, I mean, you did a lot with Titchmarsh, didn't you, with Adam? You've done a bit and Bob's with, with him. Yeah, and then you've I've done, done bits. You've done this morning. Is it this yes. morning? Yes, it I've is this morning. That. Yeah. And the one show. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, what else have you done? I'm trying to think now. Uh, I've been on Shooting Stars. Um, have you really? I, yes. I didn't yes. know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Paul O'Grady Shaw. That's it, Paul. Um, that's it. That was the other person I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah, I've done all... I, I mean... You, I love you that. Get, you get asked to do things. And, I mean, I've always seen it as an opportunity of showing my subject. And uh, that's what's important to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not really into television for television's sake. I want the subject to shine. Yeah. I couldn't care. Do you know, I couldn't care a monkeys if you couldn't remember my name. Sure. I care passionately that you remember what I've said to you. Well, Elaine, I mean, I'm loving this so far. Um, <laughs> so listen, Sue, um, what, 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 is it, what is it that you do when you're not on the goggle box, though? Because before this recording started, Christine, I was saying to you, it's interesting because uh, not everybody, but a lot of the people that I've, we've spoken to so far have been on telly or have got a telly uh, background. Mm. And the interesting thing about telly always is that when you're on telly, everybody knows you and that you're on telly. But when you're not on telly, everybody either thinks you're dead or that you've stopped doing what you were doing. Um, mm. So when we don't see you on the one show and you're not on the goggle box, what, what do you do? What, what's your sort of day to day? 
Uh, I have a very exciting day today because my day-to-days aren't normal. Um, prior <laughs> to COVID, I would be uh, leading gardening tours, doing consultancies, writing, lecturing, photographing, practical gardening, leading tours, um, all sorts of things. I mean, my yeah. life has been very much um, a jumble in many yeah. ways. Uh, I mean, it's fascinating because I've always been freelance. I've never had anybody behind me as such. So I, I don't belong to the RHS or belong to this seed company or sure. that seed company or anybody else. Um, I've ploughed my own furrow, as it was. And <laughs> because I'm interested in all sorts of things, I seize opportunities. I'm a great opportunist. And if somebody said, you know, would you go to China tomorrow to look at plants? The answer would be yes. Yeah. If it was, would you like to do this? Provided it's within the realm of what I think is sensible um, I tend to say yes so it's um, I'm fascinated by all sorts of things so it, it's that fascination and I see different genres of, of TV gardening quite exciting because you know I wouldn't have said that Paul O'Grady's show was the right way to sort of take gardening but the number of people that watched that and then said they'd given yes. it a go yeah. Um, it, it's very much like the one show. When I was first asked to do the one show, I thought, what a stupid, crazy, bonkers thing to ask me to do. <laughs> Get lost. Um, yet, um, somebody once said to me, you, you're seen by more people on that than an awful lot of the gardening programmes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it is true. And that's why I say it's not me that's important. It's sure. the subject. And I've loved it when people have come up to me and they've said to me things like, I saw you on the one show last night and I tried that. I bought some of that stuff you, you said. Yeah. And that's to me. And I think, great. I've turned that key. Yes. Turning yeah. that key is what matters. And it doesn't matter whether you do it in an hot air balloon or you do it sprinkling compost on some guest on Paul O'Grady's show. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The key thing is that you've turned that key. Yeah, I think that's lovely. And you can hear your passion when you talk about it. And that's what's really nice is that it's that you're reigniting that passion that you felt as a kid, right? And that's lived you through your life over the last, what, I don't know, 20 years or something. Uh, <laughs> 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 Sounds a bit in half, yeah. yeah. No, and, and I, you know, that is still there. And it, it's like that excitement when I open a packet. Says, How many packets of seed have I sown in my life? Yet yeah. that speck, that bit of dust. Yeah. That journey there is again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 I I can't imagine ever losing that. Um, and if I did, you need to put the plastic bag on me head and tie it very tight. Right. <laughs> well, listen. Coming back to the one show, now you have had quite the list of celebrities sat next to you, Christine, haven't you? I mean, I I did a little bit. No, of hang on. And... No, I have sat next to lots of celebrities. <laughs> Get well, that right. Well, all right, depends which way you look at it. But, um, I mean, like loads of them, and some of them, are, uh, the celebrities clearly have not been, they've sort of had it very briefly mentioned that they might, you know, that, that, that they might be involved in it. But some of them look genuinely shocked. They're like, you want me to what? <laughs> well, yes. Um, have you ever a favourite that you've met? I was very taken by Helen Mirren. Helen oh, spoke to me afterwards... Um, and we met a second time and she she came over from her car to greet me and wow. said what a great pleasure it was to be working with me again. Wow. Um, and she was generally interested in plants. Um, yeah, I mean, 
they're all people. You see, I'm yeah. not bothered by who it is. I've never been a great people worshipper. And quite sure. often, and one of these days I will get caught out, is quite often I have no idea who I'm sat next to. Yeah, me because too. I'm not a great television person. Yeah. So you can be next to this, you know, what what in a lot of people would consider the greatest person on earth. Sure. And, you know, so what? Um, yeah. He's there for exactly, or she's there for exactly the same reason that I am. And that's yeah. to give an interview. And that's yeah. all it is. Yeah. I think that's amazing. What, what was <clears throat> um, Helen? I like Helen Mirren. What was Helen Mirren's interest in plants? Is she a, she's quite a keen gardener, is she? Or... She is quite a queen gardener. And she was saying oh, that often good. when she's on sets uh, and she has a caravan, you know, if they're doing a long drama or something like yeah. that, she will get window boxes and tubs and things oh, um, for a caravan. Oh, um, I mean, joyful. a very genuine person. Um, another person I enjoyed was, um, oh, the, the cricket umpire. You see the name, uh, Dickie Bird. Oh, crikey, yes. Dickie Bird and I had a marvellous interview together. And at the end of it, he, I mean, we talked about gardening. We talked about which side the sun shines from the Pennines. And, of course, it's from Lancashire. And we talked <laughs> about all sorts of things. There was a tremendous amount of chemistry um, between us. But at the end, we sat talking. And the end of the interview didn't bring the end in my mind. So I just said to him, Dickie... Have you got any regrets? And he looked at me and he filled up. And he said, yes, I do. And I said, oh, what's that then? And he said, I wish I'd had a son to play cricket with. Oh, gosh. And I looked at him and I said, Dickie, if you've only got one, you're a very lucky man. And all he said to me was, I. Wow. Wow. And that was a very, very special moment. Yes. Um, and it was almost that that I, because yeah. I knew what it meant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And th th there are moments like that in TV that you can have. Equally, I've been thrown out of the green room when a certain group appeared and their bouncer thought I shouldn't have been in there. So I told him where to yeah. go and I ate their sandwiches because they were better than the ones they normally got to eat. Um, so there, there, are, there have been moments. Uh, <laughs> I just don't get it. You know, we're all there for the same reason. Yeah, I, I know. Care that you're mega, mega what's it? Um, you know, you're there doing a the job, sunshine, and that's that. <laughs> hey, what were their sandwiches? They were better than mine. I used to get dried up cheese butties that I think they bought the day before. They yeah. had prawn and coronation chicken and Ooh. nice things like that, and salmon, smoked Ooh. salmon. Yeah. No, I never got offered that. And often I, I had to ask the runner to go and get me one anyway. I love a coronation chicken sandwich. I don't like too many sultanas in it, though. That's the way it ruins it for me. Well, there you go. Just pick them out. Yeah, no, I do. Or the almond ones. You know, sometimes you get ones with bits of chunks of almonds in it. Oh, no, like I don't have them. Almond flakes. And no. I don't really like that either. I think, you no. know, if you're going to have... So it's, it's like somebody once said on telly, I forget who it was, I was listening to it. I was in bits. I don't know if it was a comedy or not. I can't remember, but I was in tears of laughter. He said, it. what is it with all these people doing fancy things with sex? He said, all this dressing up and toys and stuff. He said, just leave it alone. He said, it's like having a bloody good curry and putting a trifle in the middle of it. It doesn't need it. You know, it just needs a... <laughs> <laughs> just is what it is just leave it's it true absolutely just leave <laughs> things alone it's like it's like so many gardening programs or producers they love to make things bigger than they actually are yeah 
Yeah. I mean, come on. It's exciting. And complicated. Oh, yeah. I mean, for heaven's sake. Uh, yeah. You know, you don't need to. Just just tell it as it is. It's exciting enough. Now, we, we have a regular feature. I have a regular feature on this podcast, which is Book of the Month and Album of the Month. Right. Um, and I wondered whether you had... I've got a Book of the Month this month, actually. I read prolifically, and I've just started getting back into it again, so I'm ploughing through books again. Um, but what... Uh, uh, do you have an Album of the Month or a Book of the Month or a song or a bit of music or anything you'd like um, to share, Christine? A bit of music that I'm listening to. I'm a hand bell ringer. Are you really? Yes, I am. Are we about to get that as she leans across to a desk there? Are we about to get a rendition of it or not? Well, you see, the trouble with handbell ringing is you need bells. The bell ringers, a very generous bell ringer who had a set of chimes, sent out to the team, there's only six of us that play because she's only got 12 chimes, a set of bells each, and we ring to Zoom. But there's a piece of music I listened to recently that um, is stunning. It's not new, but it's called Eternal Love Affair by Ernesto um, Corsazo. And it is beautiful. It's very lyrical. It's very romantic. Um, I tend to like romantic music. I love Shostakovich when he's in a romantic mood. Um, So I would say uh, music is very important to me. He was the Casanova of his time, old Shostakovich, wasn't he? Well, absolutely. Junior. Junior. Yes. Um, We need to differentiate there because a lot of people think there's only one, but there was two. There was father and son. Um, And there's some stunningly magnificent, beautifully sensitive music that came out of Russia. I mean, Tchaikovsky is another composer that... Is Gosh, that's really interesting for you to say something like that because that you know, there's a lot of people that when you think about sort of romantic music or, or sort of lovey music, people often think about ballads or, or lyrics, not necessarily classical music. But the it's similar this, to what you're saying earlier. It's that hypnotic draw, isn't it, of the of the notes and the composition? Absolutely. And you know, Shostakovich could tinkle the ivories like nobody else could. Um, and, and, some of his, <laughs> and some of his piano pieces, the sensitivity of touch, sure, the timing, sure. the nuances that just comes through that music. You can almost see lovers together. Oh, um, I mean, it's stunningly, stunningly beautiful. Um, so I don't have an album because I listen to all sorts of things. And I um, I have a weekly and a daily fix on Twitter. And that's from the Dumblain Cathedral handbell ringers. Okay. They quite often have a tweet with somebody dinging. Dong, dong, oh. dong, dong, dong. And I like my morning fix of handbells. Yeah. So that's what I do. So that's my music. Um, the only handbell thing, Joy, just to interrupt you real quick, the only handbell thing I've ever seen was, I think I was at, at Centre Parks one Christmas, late November, I think. It was all sort of Christmas set up. And they had a handbell group. I'd never, ever seen or come across a handbell group before previously. Mm-hmm. And the noise was amazing. Like the the power of it was it. I don't know how many of them there were. There were quite a few, maybe 10 of them or something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it was... I mean, incredible to li- and and to watch. It was almost like watching a fire. You know, when you, yeah, you only watch yeah, a fire and you can't yeah. not look at it because it's hypnotic yeah. and all the hands yeah. and the and special yeah. like little twitches and stuff. Oh, that they were absolutely. Doing. Yeah. Well, you have to remember with handbells, and this is something that people don't appreciate: is it's an orchestra. Yes. Yes. In itself, and that instrument is played 
according to the different instruments. So sure. you, you've got an orchestra playing, and when handbells are rung properly, it is a very, very spectacular sound. Sure. Well, they're, they're different. You've got different notes, haven't you? Absolutely. Yes. Sure. Yeah. You yeah. can. You can. The normal ringing is you have two, so you have one in your right hand, one in your left hand. You can, when you get clever, do two in hand four in hand and wow. there are a few people around the world there's a, a japanese chap that can do eight in hand in one um, hand in one hand it's the, the arrangement of how you put them together Good Lord. Um, so and, and the the intricacies of bell it's not just flinging a bell you, yeah. you can you can stop it with your thumb you can stop it by wiping the rim you can vibrate it you can let it boom. Wow. you can hit it with a mallet you can do up i mean for people that think handbell ringing is just like a school bell going dong dong, yeah. get a life. Um, it's a fascinating art form, and to ring well, you are a very, very skilled musician. Wow, wow! I shall look into this. I'm going to end up on a rabbit warren on YouTube. I can see it now. <laughs> well, you'll That's find good. plenty there, and if you just put Dumblane Cathedral handbell ringers, you'll come up with all sorts of lovely stuff. But this heaps and heaps and heaps of stuff on youtube um and various other websites do you ever listen to music when you're when you're gardening or designing or anything like that is there a time no. when you sort of link the two no 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 um i spend a lot of time well used to spend a lot of time driving um and a lot of my music listening is when i'm driving the car yeah yeah you're like a lot of gardeners i speak to they don't listen to when they're outside it's it's Silence. the connection with being outside, yeah. Silence. Uh, yeah. I mean, interestingly, um, if I'm stressed, I want silence. Yeah. I, I don't want music. And it doesn't matter what music. I don't sure. want it. I just yeah. want to be quiet and peaceful and in my own mind. Yeah. Well, it's the ability to let go, isn't it? And, yes. and of course, if you're listening to music, you're still, your brain is still doing something. It's still Absolutely. Constant. Yeah. And yeah. being outside, you can just drift away to nothingness. Yeah, sure. Let nature take you. Well, I have a book of the month. <clears throat> I've been reading a book called Stop Being Reasonable. <laughs> right. By Eleanor Gordon Smith. Now, I've never, ever read anything by Eleanor Gordon Smith before, but my God, this is a brilliant book. This is, she's arguing about the fact that um, people think that being reasonable means that you have to be devoid of any emotion and that you have to have all of the answers and that you have to be on one camp or the other. And what she's saying is, that um, she sort of takes you through uh, some really fascinating stories. There's one uh, chap who took part in Faking It, the, the um, TV show here, um, and, it, and it sort of charts you through his experience of ending up being a completely different person and what he reasoned with who he was ended up being somebody completely different. I've just finished reading a bit of a chapter with a girl that when she was younger, um, her mother was convicted of child abuse, but it turned out that quite possibly it was all fabricated. So she ended up living most of her life thinking she was a victim of child abuse, whereas actually it looks like she absolutely wasn't. Uh, and so uh, she, it's a very good book, very easy reading, very powerful, but also she's just really funny. She just, a bit like you really, no nonsense, you know, just, just cut straight to the point. Uh, there's a bit where she swears in it, where she, you know, she sort of says, you know, stop messing about, just let's just get on with it, shall we? It's about time we started just um, being a little bit more grown up about who we are. Um, so it's the not necessarily the book I would necessarily go out to read normally, but I like to kind of push my boundaries a bit, you know, and find mm. stuff. But uh, I would really recommend it. Stop being reasonable. 
by Eleanor Gordon-Smith. If you fancy a read that will sort of make you think differently about maybe the opinions that you've got and how you've come about them um, in a good way. Uh, and it certainly certainly challenged me. And it's nice sometimes to read a very different book because when I go outside, I read a lot of nature books, a lot of you know gardening books. And when I yeah. go outside, uh, sometimes it's nice to just have something sitting in the back of your mind, just yeah. you know developing, swishing around oh, uh, when, when you're doing your cuttings. Um, talking about being outside, it's February. The snow has just settled outside. <laughs> there has been a blizzard the entire time that we've been talking. Um, what are you doing outside this February? Christine, I quite like to find out what's on your your gardening list. Well, if it wasn't snowing, the veg yeah. garden needs to be turned over. I've got a light soil, so I tend not to turn it over until February or March time because otherwise it would just slump down and it would need doing again. Right. Um, I've still the borders to cut down because I tend to leave them for the wildlife. Um, there's seed sowing beginning, of course, and and things I think like the fridge will be heaving with seeds. Yeah. I imagine. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it's pepper sowing time and it's leek sowing time at the moment. Um, I've started taking cuttings of things like the begonias that I overwinter. Yeah. Um, there's lots to be done as far as mulching because I haven't mulched the garden yet. Um, I'm enjoying all my bulbs in the garden. I've got yeah. lots of pots and I grow hyacinths in dustbins. And then from the dustbins, I bring them out and put them into my little cold frame so they can green up. And then I bring them indoors. Um, I, I haven't got many facilities. And I, I've always stayed true to the fact that if you haven't got anything, it gives you more credence when you're talking. I mean, I was recently talking on Gardeners Question Time and I said about how I grow my begonias. And people were, well, one of the panellists was sort of saying, well, mm, oh, yes. Um, and oh, yes. You know, I don't have a propagator. I don't have a greenhouse. I have my kitchen windowsills and I yep. have my dining room table. And if I can do it on my dining room table and windowsills, yep. God, so can you. Yes. Um, yep. And I think there's an awful lot of credibility to be able to say to somebody, look, I do this on my dining room table. Yeah. I yep. stick a load of bricks and a mirror up to reflect the light. You can't eat on my dining room table at this time of the year. But <laughs> I don't want to eat on my dining room table. I want to grow my plants. And I, I think, you know, doing things simplistically um, and easily and without flash kit does give you a certain credibility. Um, and also the information you need to be able to tell people when they're yeah. doing it at home. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we should start that, Christine. We should. What do you do on your dining room table? Absolutely. That's a question we should ask people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> it might be interesting. All to... sorts of responses. <laughs> Some of which could be broadcast, and others that wouldn't. Yes, <laughs> we could we could categorize them uh, into gardening and not. See, so you're going to be busy this February. This is interesting because again, there's still so many people that think you don't really do anything outside in the garden. But there's loads to do in the garden this time of the year to prepare, isn't there? Mulching's well, the big thing. It's interesting because I had somebody say to me the other day, I oh, suppose you're not doing much outdoors, and I had yeah. to put him straight. Um, yeah. There's always things to be done in the garden, always. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, for, for the non-informed, they obviously think about the growing season, and that's when the sun's shining and the rest of it. But there's a lot of months that we can be doing things. Pruning often takes place in the winter. Cleaning up maintenance work takes place in the winter. Um, there's a lot to be done if you really want to. 
Um, it, it's just perceptions, and it, it's like everything in life. Unless you've been involved with it, how do you know what's involved yeah. with it? Now, Christine, I'm a little bit worried about my bananas. I don't mind admitting to you. Really? Um, yeah, uh, because <laughs> um, I'm worried. I bought a couple into the greenhouse, the, the little like little baby ones, my little bananas. But I've got a couple of big bananas, and they and I've wrapped them up for the winter. But I'm a little worried that uh, this year. Um, so for several years, I tried a big uh, like a chicken wire cage around it, mm. stuffed the chicken wire cage full of straw. Yeah. Um, and then what did I do? I think I wrapped like something around the outside just to kind of keep it a bit drier. So the, you know, so the straw didn't rot. Mm. Well, this year, because we had that weird, weird autumn into winter where it was really warm for ages and then mm. it was really mild for ages. So I cut the leaves off quite late and I just wrapped um, like a, uh, I don't know how to describe it. You know, those things, there are other raised bed as available, but there's a thing called a trug, like yeah. a, a veg, yeah. veg trug. Yeah. It's like yeah. a manger, doesn't it? Like a cradle. Mm. Mm. Um, and they come with like this sort of, um, you know, various different tops to go on it, like a fleecy one and a yeah. netted one and whatever. And there is a sort of, what I call the propagating one. It's like a slightly insulated sort of plastic thing. So I wrapped that round them this year yeah, um, and tied them up nice and tight so that they were protected from the frost. But I'm a little bit worried that there's not enough protection. Um, so do you think my bananas might have got chill or do you think they'll be all right? It depends really on the layers. I wouldn't have been wanting to use polythene um, sure. because the trouble with polythene is the plant can um, respire and then you get condensation and then the condensation, yeah. if you've not got enough thermal insulation properties, freezes yeah. and that can do your plant. Um, it, it, it's one of those million pound yeah. question things. It depends on how cold it's got. It depends on thermal properties. If that banana plant is old, it may take the top growth off, but you may well find it throws from the bottom again. Um, sure. So... Um, they're, yeah. they're amazingly resilient i found banana plants so they throw off so many little babies off the bottom but they just keep coming well most plants want to grow remember um, yeah. you know so providing it's not that cold and sustained and let's face it we haven't had a sustained cold winter in this country for quite a number of years now no you know when did we last have soil frozen down to six inches it's sure. a long time ago a long time sure. ago sure. so things are changing and things are different and you know if you've got well-drained soil and the soil doesn't freeze solidly and you've got a plant reasonably well insulated and as i say i haven't had condensation freezing within the um, the growth and the the, the rolls if you've rolled it up uh, you may be all right can you grow bananas indoors do you think maybe i should put them in a pot and bring them inside and put them in my my new entrance hallway victorian would, jungle they'd be certainly fine in a porch you can overwinter them in a porch oh, okay. um get better like you don't need to cut them down then of course yeah um it's like you know it's trying try if you don't you know no just bung one in and see what happens yeah <laughs> that was, was my grandma's philosophy that that's how i learned gardening and my grandma used to say we'll just stick it in well just, just if, if it's it. not happy it'll soon tell you Absolutely, that's what she used to say. Now well, you strike true. you strike me as a, a a tea drinker rather than a coffee drinker. Is that right, Christine? Absolutely. It's the northerner in you. That's what it is. That's what I'm thinking, right? I don't like the taste of coffee, mate. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my family's from up north. See, they're from Sheffield, and uh, and my grandfather was from the 
West Riding of Yorkshire, as hey, he used to say. I'm um, great, hey, what? <laughs> uh, and they're hey, all tea drinkers. But I haven't, unfortunately, there's this weird thing. I was talking to, um, uh, who was I talking to? I've been talking to a couple of guests about this, that there's this thing called a coffee. You can buy a coffee. So um, uh, it's about this community garden project thing I've got. So unfortunately, there's no tea and I drink tea. But if you go to ko-fi.com, so coffee.com forward slash roots, ko-fi.com forward slash roots, you can donate to the podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, if you liked any of the previous episodes, you can say, oh, I like that. I'll give you a pound for that or two pounds for that or a hundred pounds or however much you want. And if you remember what we're doing is we're going to collate all of this money and donate it to um, a or several community garden projects because then they'll have a little bit of budget to buy some more plants or seeds or whatever. And that's a little gift from you and from me and from us collectively to say thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this uh, Roots, Wings and Other Things project and the podcast. It's been super fun so far and I hope you're still enjoying it. Um, but it's your little way of being able to sort of give back, really. Um, so, uh, Christine, do you know of any community garden projects or anything sort of, you know, gardening that you want to give a shout out and that we can maybe help out in the future at some point? Or you know, what I would say is search the web and go to those tiny ones. Yeah, yeah. Don't go to the bigger ones no. because they get support in all sorts of ways. Absolutely. Find the ones that have only got six or seven together that are really struggling. And yes. if you go on the web, if you look at Twitter, you'll know the type I'm talking about. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it, it's those that you can give so much to. And they're often ignored. It's yes. like, you know, everybody gets sponsors for the big gardens. Everybody gets sponsors for the big names. Yes. But, you know, what about the tiny little charities? There's, there's a group, it's not so small now, it's called Mudlarks in Hertfordshire, and they are, are a nice community garden, and they do things. There's one in Epping. Um, sure. there, there's various ones that are not that big, but engage people that wouldn't normally garden. Sure. And I think it's those smaller ones you should be supporting, yes. um, you know, because they do get a phenomenal amount of pleasure and joy out of having some new seeds or getting a new tool that they couldn't afford and they dream of. And it, it's just igniting that belief in them because yeah. it's not the amount, it's the gesture. Yeah, I can remember being given a travel award when I was young and it wasn't very much. And I can remember many years later in the same committee being told that, oh, it didn't really matter about the amount. And if it wasn't very much, it wasn't very important. And I stopped the person and I said, can I just tell you something? And he said, yes. And I said, if you hadn't given me that money, I wouldn't be here now. I wouldn't have the slide material that enabled me to lecture. Yes. I wouldn't have had the experience of lecturing around the world. I wouldn't have had the experience of people being confident enough to ask me to lecture around the world. And you gave me £25. Yeah. Nothing at the time to you as a banker, yeah. but to me as a student on a grant, it was being like giving a million pounds. And more importantly, you acknowledged I was worth having that 25 quid. <laughs> That's what giving something like, you know, a, a donation to 
a community garden, it's not necessarily the 25 quid, the 50 quid, the 100 sure. quid, the 500 quid. It's saying to them, you are worth it. You're absolutely right. It is all in life, isn't it? Just about the little things that we do and remembering, as Maya Angelou said, that people always remember how you make them feel. Absolutely. It's... And in the same second, you can make or break. And it's the same breath. Christine Walkden, it has been a joy chatting to you. I could talk to you all day, but I know you've got things to do and I quite need a wee now. Um, so, <laughs> so that can't happen. But, but it's been lovely. I'm super pleased for you coming on and being my guest co-host today. Thank it's you. It's been a great pleasure. I've enjoyed it as well. I think this might be one of the best ones that we've ever recorded. I, <laughs> what am I supposed to say after that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mean like us, because it's the only one we've ever recorded, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well done, you've set the bar I, I, for yourself. I hope people enjoy what we've had to say. I hope they can relate to it. Uh, I, I hope it makes a few people laugh. Well, all we need to do is say goodbye. So, uh, uh, Christine, uh, thanks very much. Goodbye. A great pleasure. Have fun. Enjoy your garden and keep doing what you do. See you, everybody. See you next month. Bye-bye. <laughs>